Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. You think I'm scared, huh? Yes, I do. Maybe I don't want to learn the truth. Ted, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Welcome back. We are talking about Ted Lasso. What would Ted Lasso do? And we're talking about season two, episode seven, Headspace. Lots of stuff going on. Dimple, drop some knowledge. What did you think of this episode? As there was a lot in there. But I just want to say that the episode was written by Phoebe Walsh, who actually plays Jane Payne. So we saw her in the last episode and is directed by Matt Lipsy. First of all, I really like the title, Headspace, because I felt like we were delving into the headspace of a lot of different people (laughs) in this episode. And it was funny because I thought about in the last episode, you said, you know, we we don't really have any quotables for Dr. Sharon because we're never in her sessions. And I felt like in this one, we walked away with like a handful. Dude, so many. Yeah, so... Yeah, so we have like three kind of storylines going. We've got Ted and his therapy issues. We've got the Roy Keeley issue, which I loved. And then we've got Nate, the uh, continual unraveling of Nate. What did you feel were some of the the themes or what came up for you? I feel like the theme of this episode is trauma. (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't call this trauma episode because my gosh, the amount of trauma from previous injuries affecting people now is significant, whether that's Ted with his own trauma from past experiences with therapy, or my gosh, Nate, like recreating his father whenever he interacts with anybody. (laughs) I know. And he just keeps doom scrolling, looking for, you know, just more external praise. It's just really sad. Yeah, I wouldn't characterize it as doom scrolling only because doom scrolling is where we can't stop looking at the bad things. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. In this case, he's really looking for like, like you said, all that external validation. It took me a minute to figure out like one thing I was trying to figure out was how much time had actually passed because I was like, how like how many days is this kid in the news cycle? But I think it's only been like a day or two. So I don't think a lot of time has actually passed since we saw that game or the match where he made the call and stuff. But I think he also was looking at the same tweets over and over again. You know, that was the other thing. I meant to go back today and I didn't have a chance, but I was wondering that too. I was like, does he keep reopening the same article? Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's AFC Richmond. I mean, not to knock it, but it's still a small team. There's not going to be that many tweets after a while. So it's just like, I think he just was rereading the tweets over and over and over again. Yeah, because at one point it showed like, there was a tweet from two days earlier and then the next tweet was like 14 minutes ago or something like that. So yeah, I think you're right. Like it was a lot of going back, but the themes that came up for me on this were like boundaries in relationships. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's romantic or whether it's professional, whether it's like this therapist kind of relationship, but there was definitely a lot around boundaries. And then the other thing was like this interesting, I guess, like what it means to be like a strong or resilient person. Mm. Because I think there are a lot of leaders out there that are strong leaders that, you know, like how Rebecca was saying in, I think two episodes ago about, you don't have to yell 
you just have to be assertive. And so like, I think there's a lot of leaders who are assertive and they're good at what they do and they're strong without having to be mean. Yeah. And it's interesting because you've got like Ted and Nate, which feel like two ends of that spectrum. So I don't know. So those were kind of the overarching things that came up for me. But yeah, I mean, I'm trying to understand Nate or put myself in Nate's shoes. And it's like, okay, what are examples of strong leadership for him? Right? What are examples of strong, uh, I don't know, figures? And I think he sees his father as like, he needs approval from his father. And that's so apparent right from the very beginning when he mm-hmm. like he comes over and he gives flowers and he's like, it's not that big of a deal, mom. Just just giving flowers just a regular day, even though he knows it's not a regular day because right. he knows he's in the paper that day. Right. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and then it's so ironic that the articles on the back of the newspaper and it's like the last thing his dad reads right yeah and you know and then even how he says he's like oh look at what's at the back of the newspaper like instead of just acknowledging it he's just trying to be like subtle about it yeah and then his father goes they say humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking about yourself less and it's just like oh gosh it's just that, like, i know that was like that hurt that, that hurt just like, Ooh. you know you know and it's like he hit him right right there because it's like uh nate thinks about himself all the time and we i think we all think about ourselves all the time to a point but nate really is needing that certain level of approval specifically from his dad all the way going back to like the restaurant scene right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you almost feel so sad because you see the the suggestion box that he made last year, which I've totally forgot that he made that suggestion box. This was a new one, though. What do you mean? Are you talking about the one that was on the table? Yeah, what was that one on the table? Yeah, this was a new one because he looks at it. He's like, oh, this one's cute. Like, it's a new one that his niece has made. So it's not one that he took in. Oh, but so what's interesting to me is the fact that he moved it. There was, I feel like there was some symbolism of like, oh, this is just so ridiculous. But in the past, yeah, it was a big thing. It was like his one of his first things he ever suggested, yeah. right? It was yeah. the f- first project he had was to like design the box, right? Yeah. And now he's just like angry at it and just being like, that's for children. And he's kind of like letting go of his play because he's like so focused on trying to be perfect. Yeah. And it's just, it's like he's in this like, mental jail in my opinion oh that's so interesting i i didn't pick up on that at all like all i heard him say was like i heard him pick it up look at it and say oh this is cute and then put it to the side i just thought it was because he was sitting down and it was in his way but it could be i'd have to go back and take a look but yeah to go back to the earlier point about how he approaches pointing out his the headline about him in the paper like you get the impression that this is like he's approaching in this way because it's like a lesson learned from the past, right? Like he's already experienced some kind of trauma from his father or like reaction from his father that, you know, similar to probably similar to what he said to him in this moment, uh, which is why he approaches it that way to be like, oh, well, you know, you know, like instead of, like you said, coming in and being like, hey, guess what? Like I have my moment in the sun finally and everybody's celebrating him. But it's also interesting because you've got his mom who who wants to like really like, yeah. you know, celebrate him. And, and she even calls him her wonder kid or something. And then the funniest thing to me was the number of times that he doubled down on, oh, no, I'm, I said wonderkind. And everyone's like, I know. Like, we literally heard you on the news. Like, you actually said, can you edit that out? And they said no. But also, it's like, who cares? No one cares except for him. And he's so focused on being perfect. And you're like, dude, like, calm down. It's not that big of a deal. But he thinks, yeah. I think we've all been there in a way where, like, we make a mistake. And in our minds, we blow it up to be so big, Mm -hmm. right? And so we're embarrassed. And and you're right. Nobody else cares. Like they're not thinking about it anymore. But we just keep like going with it and, and thinking about it. 
but yeah, like it just like all I could keep thinking was like all those people yelling fake news all the time. Like I felt like he'd be one of those people in that moment to be like, right. no, like that's fake news. I didn't I didn't say that. And so, yeah, I just thought that that was really interesting that he really in every instance of this episode, he kept saying, oh, no, no, I said Wonderkin. And I think he's looking for that moment. And I remember when I used to look for that moment from my dad, like looking for that moment where you finally get the approval, right? Where Mm -hmm. finally, and maybe he thought he was going to get that when he got the table. And then he didn't get it when he got the table. And now he's going to get it here because it's not, he didn't get it this time. Like now what else does he have to do for his father to get that approval? But it's just this constant chasing of, this, uh, you know, believing happiness is just around the corner once he does this one last thing. It's just fascinating because, and the reason why I referred to it earlier as doom scrolling is because, like, he's heading towards his doom each time he scrolls because he's looking for, he constantly is looking for that consistent validation, which will not definitely come from Twitter of all places, especially now. And then he eventually bumps into a tweet that says he's a loser. And then that's the one thing he actually pays attention to. It's just like more people reiterating what he already thinks about himself based off of what he thinks his father thinks about him. Yeah. And so that whole thing really brought up this idea of negativity bias, right? So he's gotten literally hundreds of tweets saying that he made a great call and he's this, you know, great, like, strategist, all this stuff. And even like the stuff he was listening to in the headset, someone saying that he deserved his own team. And so you've got like all this really great feedback. And then the one piece of negative feedback that he sees like sends him into a tailspin. And that's like, that's a pretty common thing, right? And I think we've talked about this before that, you know, as humans, we have this built in negativity bias so that, Mm -hmm. and it's a survival mechanism, right? So as soon as like, our brain sees that it feels like there's some kind of attack about to happen. And we go into like this protective mode of fight or flight. And so in this case, the fight that came out was directed at Will. Yeah. uh, The kit man. Right. So as soon as he saw that negative tweet, like he turned around, walked into that boot room and like threatened him basically. Mm -hmm. And it really reminded me of in that moment, I felt very much like, I felt like a visceral reaction yeah. to just because we don't see it, right? We just hear it. It reminded me of those kind of like domestic violence situations mm-hmm. where, you know, he's doing it in a way where nobody else is going to hear, nobody else is going to know. Yeah, it left me, it, it left a really bad taste in my mouth. Oh, yeah. Especially in that environment of all places, Ted Lasso's place where everyone is being kind and, you know, and looking out for one another. And going back earlier to Nate, you know, at the beginning, right? So, you know, he gets roasted by all the people, you know, all of all the players. And they're like, is it wonder? And then he like goes after Colin, right? Mm. And he goes after Colin and then he benches Colin during practice, which is like really messed up, dude. Knowing yeah. and maybe he knows or maybe he doesn't know, but he knows that. You know, Colin is struggling to recognize if he's a strong and capable man, right? And now, <laughs> and now, now it's like, and this is this is the effect. I'm I'm currently uh, writing a chapter for a friend's book on toxic workplaces, and this is how toxicity can be contagious, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like being transferred now to Colin, and now Colin's feeling really bad about himself, and then it's transferred over to the kit man. It's just like, oh my goodness, right? So you're like. Dude, not only is he benching him, but then that's absolutely definitely not helpful for Colin to get better anyway. So, yeah, I thought that was messed up. And then later on, what he says to him, oh, my gosh. I know. Well, I was curious. Like, I am curious if he knows that Colin is seeing Dr. Sharon and that he's got this. Because I know Colin's not like Colin tells everybody that's my mentor, but I we haven't seen him say that to Nate or in a place where Nate would overhear it, but maybe he has. Cause I was curious, like what was the weakness that he saw in Colin to like direct his anger at him? Cause I know like, I know that Colin was one of his bullies before, 
But so was Jamie. So was like, they've all bullied him before. It's because, and he says it later, right? Is because he's the weakest of that group. In the playing. Okay. He's the weakest player of the group. So he's just like, I'm going to go after the weakest person. Kind of like how he feels. I mean, his dad goes after him. He's considered probably the weakest as well. So it's just like. Right. That makes sense. That's part of the thing. I'm just going to go after that one person and the roast the burn that he first gives the colin is kind of funny right you're like ah, okay well done but the benching part to me was the part that it was just like yeah whoa that that second part's like like we're all we're all like ribbing each other right now but now like dude now you're affecting his performance which is affecting the team and that's not and i think i've talked about this before but it's like what's the difference between a bad boss and a toxic boss a toxic boss you mentally and physically feel a certain level of harm. Just bad bosses are just like bad leaders and like whatever. They can't motivate you. But like a toxic boss makes you feel horrible about yourself. Yeah. And I think about the courage it would have taken Colin to actually go and talk to him afterwards, right? To to address it and be like, hey, like, did I do something? And the first thing I noticed was that like Nate doesn't even turn around. I know. I was like, good Lord. Like, seriously? Well, he didn't turn around both times. The kit guy came in with the pens, didn't turn around. And then, so it's just like, I don't think, going back to your question earlier of like, does Nate know about Colin and the therapy? I don't think he cares. I think he's so self-involved in his own tweets that he does not care about anybody else, frankly. Well, but see, I don't know. Like, I think that if somebody else was to walk in and say something if he didn't feel like they were like the weaker person. Mm, good point. I think he would turn around. You know what I mean? Yeah, so true. I think that's part of it is his like, that's his way of showing his dominance or something. I don't know. First of all, I thought it was weird that Beard just keeps like watching what's happening. I guess not weird. Maybe he was watching to see if it's a one-off or if it's like continuous. Right. But he finally does call him out on it and he says, do better. Yeah. And so then Nate makes the apology in front of the team, which I was kind of like, I feel like that's something you do one on one. Probably. Right. Um, Because it felt very performative. Right. Like. Oh, interesting. I'm going to do this thing because I was told that I was out of line. So I'm going to like go and make this big show of it. Huh. Oh, interesting. And then everyone. (laughs) So then like. When they all start going down the line and calling him the different names, right? So it was asshole, prick, dick. I love Danny is the only one who really calls it, though. He says wounded butterfly. Wounded and I was butterfly. Like, that is like, the yes. perfect analogy because you're like, what's wrong, butterfly? Like you've been a butterfly for so long and now you seem so wounded, right? Yeah. And it kind of ties in with, you know, I think I've talked about this before, the whole term alpha male which was debunked by the person that created it. But, you know, the the study of alpha males is the study of insecure creatures in captivity, right? Because that's what he found. And like, that's, I kind of feel like that's what Nate's in. He's like in this cocoon of ego and he like can't get out of his own way. Yeah. And it just like keeps getting like bigger and bigger around him, you know? So, yeah. But I didn't even think about it being performative. I thought it was like, I thought it was somewhat genuine because he did it in front of everybody else and he could have just done it straight for Colin. So I, at the time, liked it because then after he did it, then they all like hugged and they gave him like a group hug. And I love this part where then Ted was like, do I need to know anything about this? And then Beard's like, nope, I got it. Or it's already settled. Um, and then Ted said something like, sometimes the best stew is the one you leave overnight while you're watching Citizen Kane or something like, or you fall asleep watching Citizen Kane. But I love that as well, because that also teaches a certain level of like, I trust my staff and have delegated it. And it's great that I just don't need to be a part of every single thing. And I think in the past, maybe Ted would have been part of it, but this time it didn't need to be. Yeah. Well, so I, I kind of sat with that yesterday too. I had a note that I made, you know, thinking about because one of the things that Nate immediately says when when Beard calls him out he's like oh well, did you tell Ted and so there's still like some fear there of not wanting to disappoint Ted mm-hmm. I did sit with it a little bit and I wondered like did Beard was it purely like Beard's like this is my role as assistant head coach to you know 
to deal with this stuff? Or was it more that he knows that Ted is also kind of struggling right now and maybe like he doesn't need to deal with this, you know? I don't know. I think it's both. I definitely think it's both. Well, he doesn't really know what's going on with Ted. I mean, to a point. But I think the other part was just like, this doesn't need to be a whole big thing. You know, yeah. let me just... And and it's really short too, right? He's like, do better. You were mean to him, do better. I mean, it's two sentences. And then yeah. he tells him, why did he tell him to like, you know, the door is behind you? Why did he do yeah. that? Why did he do that? I think it was just like a little comedy thing. And then he disappears, right? Because... It takes Nate a second to be like, oh, wait, this is my office. But I I, thought it was something bigger. I thought it was just like the doors behind you, meaning like, and then he's like, wait a minute, that's my office. Just like, it's only your office. It's a privilege to have this office. Yeah. But you only should have this office as long as you are, you know, in line with the values of believe, right? And if you're not, then what are you doing here? Yeah. No, I love that interpretation for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, so Nate, Nate's definitely walking a path right now. Nate's a lot. We, we, we I can spend more time about Nate. I mean, Nate's just toxic all around. And I'm really nervous now about what's going to happen next. I'm like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Ted and Dr. Sharon. Oh. So, yeah, I, I loved this storyline, too. Yeah, so last week we ended with Ted finally asking for help. Right. And so he shows up for his appointment. And like, it was like a shit show. He was just like all over the place. Fidgety and touching and making so many comments. And I almost got annoyed by his colloquialisms after a while. I was like, just relax, dude. Yeah. It was almost two full minutes of him like moving around. Like, and it's and I think what's what's really brilliant about the way that they directed that is or wrote it is I as the viewer started feeling really uncomfortable. Yes. You know? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, like sit down, dude. And I think and I love that Sharon, Dr. Sharon, like recognizes that. And the first thing she says to him is, Don't worry. Yeah. And just like, oh, it just like like took the whole thing down, you know, like you could feel the calmness coming through until he storms out <laughs> until she's like, just tell me about what happened. And then he just runs out and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. But that's why I love that. He actually came back. <laughs> yeah. So there was, it was almost like three rounds. So round one was like that initial one. And I did like the call out to Don Draper because uh, oh, yeah. Mad Men is one of my favorite shows. And so I, I really appreciated that. They talk about the tissues, right? And she says, sometimes it gets a bit emotional in here. And then she like says, don't worry. And he, like just he's like, nope, can't do this and gets up and leaves. Right. And then round two is comes back and she's surprised that he's back. But he explains that he never quits. Right. But now we start to get a little bit more information, I think, because we see like his anger starting to come through about that. Yeah, and very angry and angry about like really small things. Like he's just like, you know, how long is your session? Oh, it's 50 minutes. Well, how much do you charge? You charge by the hour? Mm, interesting. <laughs> I was like, what is he talking about? You know, like, you know, and, and is that the second time is when he went off on her work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. When he said that, when he was just like, you know, you don't know who I am. You're getting paid to pretend that you're interested in me, but you don't care either way. I mean, you could just hear the trauma from like his past therapy session with yes. his wife and just being like, you are to blame as to why I'm sitting in here in London and she's sitting in Kansas City right now. And and she'd be even angry at me or my, the therapist would make would be really angry at me as well because I'm still saying she's my wife, you know, like you're like, oh, man, there's just so much there. Yeah, it was definitely a button being pressed for Ted. Right. And we don't see like this level of anger from tre- Ted very often. And so the fact that he's like, you know, therapy's bullshit and you're only listening because you're paid to and you don't really care about me like there's just like a lot coming at her. And well, when's the last time you saw him that angry? As I don't remember the last time I saw him that angry. 
I mean, I think the only time I remember him getting really angry was like with Jamie with the whole um, that Allen Iverson practice thing. Oh, the practice thing. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't remember offhand right now him getting super angry either. The only other time I remember him getting angry was when he um, went off on the team. When he was being led Tasso. Yeah, he was being (laughs) led Tasso. Yeah. But I've never seen him get angry at an individual like that yeah. besides maybe Jamie. And even that was slightly performative. This was just like mean. It was mean. Yeah. And then he's like, what? You're going to just talk to me this whole time. And then eventually what? You're going to just probably just blame it on my folks. You know, <laughs> talk about talk about BS. Like <laughs> where yeah. you charge for an hour, but I only get 50 minutes. And then he storms off. Yeah. And then <laughs> round three was he comes back but this time she's expecting him like she doesn't did you notice she didn't even look up when she says you know come in ted and the thing that stood out for me is like i feel like this show does such a beautiful job at modeling the tough conversations right so last week we had higgins Mm -hmm. uh, when he called out the diamond dogs to be like you know i'm really disappointed that none of you had my back Mm mm-hmm And this time we have Dr. Sharon and she's just, and it reminded me of Brene Brown, like how she always says, you know, direct is kind. Yeah. And she's just, she tells him like, you know, I was really offended by what you said about my profession and, and she lays out her case. And I thought that the way she did it was like, you know, it was, it was really just calm and like, you know, fact-based. It wasn't personal, but like, but she held him accountable mm-hmm. in a way that that needed to happen. I have to say, like, even that scene about Colin coming to talk to Nate, like really great modeling about, you know, addressing issues in the moment rather than letting them fester and whatever, you know. And also modeling, like not attacking the person's character, but just simply like addressing the behavior and addressing where like you're coming from. Right. So like. In Colin's case, he's just like, did I do anything to offend you? Like, I'm just trying to be curious and find out what the issue might be, right? And then I think in the the Doc's case, she's just like, well, let me just explain to you how I feel and let me connect it to how you would feel about, you know, you coaching and, you know, the fact that like you're just because you're getting paid for it, do I assume that you don't care about your players? Like, that was such a good point and done so well. And then they start getting, they start playing. They start getting attuned because even when he throws the Kleenex box, like they're laughing and, and they're mirroring each other. Like you can start to see a lot of that mirroring and, and giggles and laughter, which always creates a certain level of psychological safety. So it's just, she's so good. She's just so good. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I think the connection there is happening, like you said, like the laughter and stuff, but even neurobiologically, right? Like you've got those um, hormones, like the oxytocin being released when you're in, and that's like that feel good, you know, whatever. And so like they, you can see that connection happening. I'll just say what was fascinating for me was like, we finally got some of, you know, uh, Dr. Sharon's like, quotes right you know and she starts speaking to him in his language and he said like i think the first real truthful statement he says is like maybe i don't want to learn the truth Mm. and then she's like the truth will set you free but it'll first piss you off and he's like (laughs) he's like yeah and then and then she busts out the well i can't be your mentor without first being your tormentor and he's like oh like he's just like he's she's now speaking his language the cadence all the things and yeah and he's like he's loving that and she knows it right because that's the 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 really like best part of that is as soon as she finishes that line and he says oh i like that she says i i thought you would (laughs) like she she's getting to know who he is and like really understands that and i thought that that was really just really lovely so it was interesting to see Ted in this place and watching him like, you know, in this headspace of like going through these different things. Right. So the round one was really like he's there. He's like, OK, actually, I'm better. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Round two is just pure anger. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then round three is finally like, OK, I'm ready to do this. You know, it was interesting to kind of watch him go through those motions to actually get there. 
I also wondered if I could see it also in the pitch when he was coaching, mm-hmm. because remember when he started like talking to the players and he, I think he brought up another colloquialism, he was saying something and they're all just sitting there listening. <laughs> and I was just like, hurry up, Ted. Like I started getting annoyed with him and I mm-hmm. usually like listening heartfelt to him, but I was like, Oh, it's, it's boiling over. It's trickling over into the pitch. But I don't yeah. actually, I don't think it, it was, but I, I'm just so happy that he's actually going. You know, like that's just a huge thing that and that he keeps coming back because he doesn't have to. Right. Mm -hmm. And just to think how good their team will be when he's able to address this. Oh, yeah. So good. Right. So the other thing that she said that I just loved was self-care can be scary. And fight or flight is a natural response, and you happen to do both. Mm. Uh, and then she says, impressive range. So this is like an area that I work on a lot, right? Whether with leaders or organizations. And now this is like a lot of what's in my book, too, is mm-hmm. around uh, duty of care, self-care. But I think oftentimes there's like this association with the, the concept of self-care as it being this soft thing, and that if you practice self-care, you're not really tough and, you know, and whatever. But it is like the hardest thing we can do, right? Like it takes, it requires so many boundaries. Like like when I talk, when I do workshops on self-care, I always talk about self-care is literally boundary setting and enforcement. Yeah. Because it's not about bubble baths. It's not about tea. (laughs) It's not, you know, like it's not any of those things, but it's really like finding the thing that is going to allow you to feel like your best self and giving yourself permission to experience that and not, you know, and not give up that time because somebody else needs you or something else came up, but really like holding that time sacred. And so this idea of therapy as self-care, like delving into our issues and having to look at our lives, uh, who wants to do that? Like, it's not fun. No. Yeah. So I really, I loved that she highlighted that for him and really just normalized it right fight or flight is a normal response and this is like it's such an important thing that i really really want leaders to understand is like when there's conflict when things are happening with people on their team it's very likely that this is the space they're in so how do you help people regulate their nervous systems and get out of fight or flight and and that's what we see her doing she's totally helping him Mm co-regulate by keeping herself calm and like talking to him and saying the things that he connects to she's in turn helping him co-regulate so that he can get back into this place that he's not in fight or flight anymore and he can actually you know have some agency and make you know and 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 talk about what's happening rather than reacting to his fear yeah Well, also, there's the whole idea of self-care is also self-reflection and finding out more of who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in Ted's case, he's just like, well, maybe I don't want to learn the truth. Like, maybe I don't want to learn that aspect of me. It will set you free, but it's going to first piss you off. Like, I don't want to go through that whole trip of having it piss me off, right? And that's that's scary, right? That's scary for, for all of us. And I love that you said the whole thing of like, it's not just bath bombs and 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 Brene Brown playing in the background. But I think we want that to be because that's much easier. It's a much easier quick fix than being like, okay. Let's get to the root issue. Yeah. And let's talk about the trauma. And you're like, why, why, why can't we just skip over the trauma? Why, 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 why do we got to go down the the valley in order to come out on the other side? Can't I just hang out here? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely an interesting area to explore. And I love, I, like, I think they did it with, like, really, like, this delicacy and grace. And it was just a really beautiful, that whole round three was really lovely to see. Mm-hmm. And then there was the whole thing with Ted and Trent Krim. And so we see Trent Krim of The Independent just very briefly in the pub asking for a quote. And like, at least I felt like you could see the wheel starting to turn in Ted's head again, because now we know that he's lying, right? Like he's full on lying. Yeah. And Krim kind of knows he's lying too. Yeah. I was, I was curious about that, right? Like, the way that he says it makes it seem like maybe he knows there's something more to the yeah. story than just food poisoning. Yeah. But on the other hand, like 
I feel like he now has this respect for Ted and he's willing to go with it. Yeah. You know, for now, for now. Yeah. I mean, he's a journalist through and through. So I'm sure he like picks up on that vibe already. But he's just like, it's all about the good story as well. He has to chase the good story. So I feel like this is going to I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I feel like this is going to come up later in some way or another. And you get you could see the doubt in in Ted's face. And it's scary. It was scary because I was just like, don't tell him. (laughs) Okay, so let's shift and talk about Roy and Keeley. Like, if this is not the episode where everyone falls in love with Roy, like, I don't know, like, what is? Because I was like, so we start out with, like, uh, the I Got You Babe song by Sonny and Cher, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it just makes everything feel really idyllic. And you see Mm -hmm. him, like, wake up, and then he, like, gazes over at her lovingly, Mm -hmm. and he's just there all the time. And... On the one hand, it's like, oh, that's so sweet. Right. You can see by Keely's reactions that there's like something's not right, you know? And she's so subtle about it in like the scenes, which I think is really funny. Like she's like, oh, hi. you know, <laughs> Or like just said, I don't know if you noticed like when um, when they got to work and he was like, oh, wait, like, aren't you going to your office? And that this brief like look crosses over her face before she's like, um, no, I'm going to go get a, a cup of tea, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was curious, like, what came up for you around this one? Because the relationship one is always interesting. So much pain and lack of freedom. I was like, oh, this is one reason why I'm like, oh, this is great that I'm I'm not married. You know, I was just like, is it like this? I'm like, oh, oh, this is because it's just like it's it's routine and it's routine and it's routine. And oh, and when he asked her where she's going, I was just like, dude, like relax like oh man do you have a life outside of her like do you have any friends besides the yoga ladies like get some other friends right <laughs> i think i think of like my my dad my dad is a was a great example is like you know he had work and then he hung out with my mom so you know he didn't have any he didn't really have that many other friends like besides the ones like in saint vincent that he would call from time to time you know or they call him but you know after a while, my mom, when he retired, was like, dude, do you have anything else you can do besides being here, right, right next to me? Like, you know, uh, as my friend Antoine would say, separate togetherness. Like, I want to be near you, but I don't want to be by you all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the comedian Patrice O'Neill would say that as well. He'd just be like, you can be in the vent. Can you just not be like right near me all the time? And that was the vibe I was getting from Roy. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, it was a lot. And like, it did make me wonder, you know, part of why it feels charming in some ways is because we know Roy and mm-hmm. we know like he's got this squishy center and whatever. But like, if I didn't know Roy and I saw that happening, like, yeah, it would feel very like possessive yeah. and like bordering on like, hey, this is like moving into... <laughs> Like, you know, this place where he's going to isolate you and uh-huh. not let you have any other friends either, you know, like, and so it, it was really like playing with a lot of that stuff, I thought. But yeah, so I love that scene in the boot room. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So good. So you've got Keely needing space and then you've got Rebecca, who, or no, I guess Ted comes in first and then Rebecca comes in. And then Higgins. And then Higgins. And I don't know if you noticed, I didn't know, this is the first time I ever noticed that Higgins is actually standing there smoking a pipe. Oh, is he really? (laughs) I I love that they just have these rubes where they do random stuff too, right? Like like throughout the day, I'm like wondering what they are doing. And you're like, okay, now it's time for the boot room. And then the only person that actually should be in there is the kid guy. And he's just like, should I be here? And they're like, yeah, do whatever you got to do. First of all, it's so gross to think about because those are all like used boots, right? Like he's cleaning them out and whatever, but like, oh, that's so disgusting. But yeah, the fact that they're all smoking in there and that's the room where smoking doesn't count. So that was kind of funny. Uh, but you've got like all this different advice coming at her, right? And that that's really interesting too, because you've got 
Rebecca, who's like, and I love the comment she makes, stop auditioning your complaints. Mm. I loved that. Mm. And and just tell the person who can actually do something about it. Like I, and it really made me think like, there's so many times where we, like, I know I've done this, right? Like we, we want validation for how we're feeling. So we will tell everyone and their mother around us, except for the person, like why this is bothering me or what's, you know, because we want people to be like, oh yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. You know? And so I love that. Stop auditioning your complaints. But Rebecca's in this place though, right? Like she's in this weird place of needing to, to take some action because that's like what she's thinking about with. Because she's not taking this, action, right? Because she's not taking action. And then you've got Ted who's like, just bottle it up. <laughs> you know? It's okay to bottle it up because that's where he's at. Because that's where pickles come from. I thought that was genius. And, ol- pickles, and then olive oil. Kit was The kid guy was like olive oil. And then what were the other ones? I was like, these are really good points. There was another mm-hmm. one. There was another one. I can't remember what it was. Okay. But I was like, things do get better pickled, you know, <laughs> or if they sit for a while, wine, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I oh, love that funny. both, both Keely and Roy each describe each other as the cat's pajamas. I think that's really cute. Oh, I didn't notice that. Huh? So when everybody is like, you know, throwing all this stuff at her and then JP, Clueless Jamie walks in just wanting his name bigger on his jersey. <laughs> and then I think he says something too, like he's a grumpy old twat or something like yeah. that. And and Ted's like, you know, and Ted says, Oh, I take umbrella. Grumpy is fine, but and Keely's like, no, 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 like Roy's perfect. And I think he's the, you know, like, and so when she says that he's the cat's pajamas, and then later when we see Roy like with the whole bathtub thing, and he tells her that he thinks she's the cat pajamas and so i thought that that was really cute i also and and correct me if you've ever seen this yourself but like people always give advice that they should be giving to themselves right like they always Mm -hmm. are giving out like especially when someone is so adamant to give their advice like it's not in a like a common be like this is what this is what you have to do Right. Yeah. Whenever I've heard that tone, then I'm like, oh, here it goes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, and I, I've seen myself do that numerous times, and I see it all the time from other people because we're we're hoping that maybe if this person takes my advice and then they do it, maybe it'll inspire me to do it. Yeah. And so it's. I know. I I totally agree. Like, I think that that happens a lot. Where yeah, we're just all auditioning our advice too. Mm-hmm. Right. Like. Our complaints and our advice. Yep. Yeah, but then we've got that scene at home where so first the the first one is like where Keely's trying to work. Roy's just like, let me kiss your arm, let me kiss your neck, and you know, and she all she wants to do is work, and then she gets distracted and like she's not able to do that, right? And then the next time they're at home, she's watching Sex in the City. She just wants to watch her show. I've seen that episode. I remember that episode. <laughs> I know it's such a good episode. But again, just so brilliant how they lay it out because Roy comes, first of all, he sits down right in front of her and like, I'm like, dude, your head is so big. I know. And, and why are you commenting out loud on the Da Vinci code? Like, like, it's not that good of a book. I didn't read all of it, but you know, like, like, you know, I actually, I loved reading it because it was like he said, the chapters are short and like, it's like, you can't put it down because you just want to know what happens next. So like, I thought it was funny that he's like, so into that book, but that his mind is being blown to the point of where he's just like making all these comments Yeah, and to see her blow up though, that, and, and so when he's like talking, 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 and you see her face just starting to like change. You could hear Carrie on Sex in the City yelling, shut up, uh-huh. just shut, just shut up. And it's all perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like, that's so perfect. But he's never seen her like that. Right. He's never seen her like so angry. <laughs> and, like, and I mean, talk about also trauma. I wonder because, you know, we, we forget from like the first season that like Keely was like an influencer, right? Like she's, mm-hmm. you know, besides just being a marketing person at the time, she was like very famous even mm-hmm. on those, whatever those, those hotel TV, oh, uh, yeah. you know, announcements. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. she's probably dated other people that have been very clingy 
Mm-hmm. And now she's dating a- another celebrity, right? So like he's also well known, but he's doing the same thing to her. And I, I wonder if she wonders like, oh my gosh, is this the end? Like, is this, even though this is perfect and I should be really happy, am I? Yeah. But I also wonder if it's the flip. Like, I wonder if in the past, maybe she's been a little bit more clingy at times. Oh, with like Jane. And now she's, yeah. And now she's experiencing the other side of it, right? True, true. And now she's also like, she's got like an actual position and Mm -hmm. she's got things that are important to her and she's like growing and evolving and, you know, and she needs her space to do that. And that's hard. Like, I know, like, I've definitely been in relationships where I'm on that end of it, where I just feel so like suffocated because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I have other things in my life besides you, you know? And, but from his perspective, given how much she really pushed to have him communicate his feelings, the fact that he's doing that, like, you know, maybe there's also some fear for him about things being over, you know, like with uh, being too smothering or too whatever. But oh, that moment when he when he makes that like connection that this whole time that she's been talking to people about him. And I love that every time he asks, are you guys talking about me? She's always like, yeah, yeah. This is why <laughs> I, I didn't think it was he was possessive. Because yeah. whenever he would say that, it would just be like, okay, are you ready to go? Like, he was not affected by that. He wasn't trying to control yeah. her. It was oh, just no, like, yeah. and that's why I was like, okay, this is cute. But yeah, yeah when he finally realizes. Yeah. Oh. No, that, yeah, that just like, I was like, oh, poor oh. But no, I wasn't saying that he is possessive. I'm saying because we know him. Oh, no, I know, know you're not saying yeah. that. I'm just yeah, thinking yeah. earlier when we were like, yikes, this guy's really scaring me. Like, you know, that's a possibility. But yeah. Yeah, I just, I thought that that was like, it was, it was pretty funny. But the way that he comes to that realization, I love that of all people is Jamie who's going to teach him that lesson. <laughs> you know, or help him recognize like what's actually happening. Wait, wait. So go in a back. totally unrelated way. Wait, so going back. So he storms off. Why do you think he storms off from Keely's house? Yeah, I think he's embarrassed. Mm. I think he's like really embarrassed because he's now realized like, oh, all these people have been hearing about this from Keely. And now they all are going to think that I'm like needy and mm. clingy and all this stuff. And that's like, I, that's not me, you know? And so I think he was embarrassed more than anything. Uh, so then the next day when he comes and he like barely acknowledges her, he's back to like stern Roy Kent. Exactly. And nobody is let in, especially you, Keely, but nobody's let in. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, like the patterns we repeat, right? So that's like his comfy, that's his comfort zone. Yep. He's in fight or flight. <laughs> so... His he's going to be in uh, like flight mode where he's just going to do everything to like get out of that situation. He's in fight mode where he's just like in that space of blame and whatever. And then maybe even a little bit of fake mode where he's just going to be like, whatever, I don't care. And then what do you think was the epiphany that he had when Jamie brought up the thing about like, I need to support my teammate by giving them what they need? So he like you know, goes after Jamie. And so I think Roy, Roy's like tactic in that space is like your teammate needs you to be up behind them to support what they're doing. And Mm. Jamie, you know, and I love Jamie's like respectfully coach um, and starts to explain to him like, no, what he really needs for me to do is give him some space. And then, then Jan Moss jumps in to be like, he's right. You know, and or no, first I think Roy like yells at him again, and then or no, he says, "What did you say?" And everyone is just like, "Oh man, we're back to this like Jamie Roy thing." Yeah, and and I like that Jamie like doubles down again, still very respectfully. Um, but I think what he says there though is something about like he needs me to trust him to ask me for what he needs or to do, you know. And I think that was like the point at which he was like, "Oh, yeah, okay." You know, so he's telling you he needs space. Well, I need to trust that that's like what uh, or not. Not that he's telling you he needs space, but you're going to trust that if he wants you there, he's going to ask you to come there. Right. 
Well, the other thing that I think of also is what we said earlier about you typically give the advice that you want for yourself, right? So he's mm-hmm. giving advice to Jamie because he's like, this is how you support people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Jamie's like, no, you kind of find out what they need. And he's like, no, you need to be around them all the time. And yeah. she's like, well, I'm actually kind of crowding him then. No, but that's what they want. That's what they need. He's like, yeah. Have you asked him what yeah. he needs? And then, <laughs> and that's why I love what he's like. Ah, ah. <laughs> like, yeah. And just walks off like, like <laughs> practice is over. I gotta, I gotta go uh, get my uh, niece's uh, strobe light and some, <laughs> and some flowers from uh, a separate garden. Oh, so well yeah. done. I thought that that was, yeah, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. And then that last bit when Keely gets home and sees that his, cause, um, his SUV is there and then she goes in and finds his bag down there. And like, I could see how that would like mm-hmm. probably cause me some fear as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And then we see that Roy has like, Roy is like course corrected. He's recognized that he screwed up and I love the, um, Hey Siri play the Roy's is sorry for not understanding Keely playlist. I want to say that, Either Spotify or Apple, one of the two, actually has this list somewhere. That's awesome. But that that Charday song is one of like I feel like the two best songs in this episode. Well, actually, all, all of the song, like the uh, closing song where Nate is yelling at uh, after he yells at Will, mm. is "I Feel Free" by Cream, which is a great song. That one I wasn't really sure about the meaning. Like I was mm. trying to figure out like. Is it that he feels free because he's now just going to like let loose on this guy? Like I wasn't entirely sure. Um, but the Sade songs by your side, like I really, it's one of my favorites. And so, yeah, I just, I thought that that whole scene was just so adorable. And again, just such a, you know, what I love about the show is it's not the like storybook romances, yeah. you know, like it's, it's trying to kind of keep it real. Like, this is probably something most people experience in relationships where yeah. at some point or another where like, you're like, man, I just need you to back off and give me like yeah. five minutes to myself, you know, but we're scared to say that to people, right? Like in a relationship to tell someone, Hey, I, I love you, but I really need to not be around you right now. Like it's, it's really hard to say. And so the fact that she like bottled it up so as not to hurt his feelings and then it came out the way that it did. Uh, I, I just thought it was such a like a real portrayal of like how people experience relationships sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that they work through it, you know, yeah. and and that they are learning how to communicate with each other. And again, just a really lovely modeling of, all right, you screwed up. Like, what are you going to do to fix it? You know, and and it's also so well written in the way of like it gives you at first the perception because he's like literally taking her clothes off that you're like, Oh, is he just going to do what he did before? And they're just going to get down. And then all of a sudden he puts her, you know, like, or she gets into the tub and he's like, now you're never going to see me for three hours. And you're like, ah, he does get it. He truly gets it, which makes turns her on. Like now she's like very excited that he's leaving. <laughs> it's funny. And and that's where I love the writing because it's it's that's a much more sophisticated complex idea to communicate that someone is even now more attracted to you as they're giving you space rather than most shows that would just be like time for them to get it on because they miss each other. It's much more layered. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was wrapped up, but like not in that such a perfect bow like yeah. most shows would do. Yeah. And I, and I like used to could, hate that about like, you know, the, yeah. the family matters and, you know, t- all the TGI F, you know, ones, uh, full house and all those where like, they're not getting along and then all of a sudden they get along in one conversation at the end. And you can't actually model that because like no conversation actually plays out that way. Like these, I mean, a lot of the hard conversations that happen in this episode, one can actually model whether they're doing it in the workplace or doing it with their significant other. The last little bit, uh, I just want to talk for two minutes is about uh, Rebecca and Sam. So Mm -hmm. we got that little bit of a, you know, crumb breadcrumb last week that mm-hmm. okay, in fact it is Sam. And um 
And so this whole little thing was kind of cute too, um, in terms of like, you know, your headspace when you're in those like beginning stages of like trying to figure out if someone's interested or whatever. And so he still does, they still don't know it's each other, but the fact that he's checking his phone, there's no responses. Whole like the whole team is like, you know, what's going oh, on? The and whole team is all over it. They're like three dots. They're all getting excited about the three dots. Yeah. And I love that. And, and then you've got like well, her headspace on the other end of it, right? Like she's like, what should I write? What should I do? Right. What should I do? And I love Higgins. Higgins, Higgins is just like the truth teller, right? He's like, uh, you know, let's let's just say that, you know, or why don't you tell him the truth that, you know, you he were afraid he's not going to live up to the fantasy you've built up, you know, and that you're going to let your insecurities from possibly get in the way of possibly finding the true love of your life. And I just thought that was like, yeah, total. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. Like, that's exactly what we do. Right. Like, it's scary. It's so scary. to Put yourself out there. So scary. So scary. And it's much easier to go to the hunky Jesus app or whatever the hunky hunky app. You no, know, it was the two messent app. Two messent or whatever you call it. And go back to hunky Luca, you know, because you know what you know what you get with hunky Luca, uh, you know. Exactly. And there's no like there's nothing deep there. No, there's nothing deep there, but there's a lot some fun and it keeps you busy. Kind of like watching Netflix, but a little bit more, a little bit more physical. And I think this was the first time for me because I was still stuck on her, like, you know, falling in love with Ted or something like that. Or I thought they were. But when I saw them together and I saw the chemistry and then he was just like, wait, was that what you were going to say? And she was like, that is what I was going to say. And I was like, attunement, the play, the play attunement is showing up again. Yeah, he's so adorable. I really love him. Yeah. And then we see like. You know, so Rebecca's on one end of the spectrum of all relationships are a nightmare. What happens, you know, when we're like, if we get hurt, you know, I'm going to get hurt. Or no, she says, what, you know, what if we meet up, it all goes wrong. All relationships are a nightmare. And so, yeah, you know, I think most of us think that at some point as we're going through that process of trying to meet people. But then you've got Higgins, who's just like, is in so like so much love with his wife. And they've been married for however long. Like, I absolutely love that. Like, yeah, their relationship is just so adorable. Do you know people in your life that have that type of relationship? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I'm sure we have a bunch of people be like, why didn't you say mine? Um, <laughs> I know two. No, maybe three. I know three. Wow. Three. Yeah. And they're awesome. But also, it's rare. Because I also know a lot of ones that are miserable. <laughs> it's like, ugh. I can think of one that where I think that they are in that space, um, that they've been together for a long time and they still genuinely enjoy each other's company mm -hmm. and love each other and stuff. But for the rest of them, like, I think people have good relationships. I think they just are, they, they seem like a lot more work. And it's not to say like Higgins and his wife do the work as well. Right. And he's talked about that before, you know, but, um, but yeah, like it's just really lovely to hear someone talk about it that way, which is so nice. I mean, when whenever I see them and I've commented to all three of these couples, I'm like, this is the type of relationship I'm looking for. I'm like, how mm -hmm. did you get it? Almost like you're like, did, did you find it? Like, was it in the clearance section of Ross? <laughs> like, I'm trying to understand where where did you pick this up? Well, and probably every one of them. I don't know. I don't know your friends, but like... Uh, I would guess that every one of them has been through like the high highs and the low lows too. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, that's part of it. But what, you know, again, like going back to what we're seeing with Roy and Keeley and building this foundation of like having to like go through the mess of it to get to the other side, to really learn how to communicate and um, be in that space with each other, you know, and learn to like recognize like, okay, if I, I think we've talked about this before, right? This idea that like, um, if you keep your hand open and put like a bunch of sand or water in it, like it'll stay there. But as soon as you close your fist, it starts to seep out, right? So this idea that the the more we can let go, the easier it is for people to stay, right? And but so, it's but it's scary because as it's like slipping through yeah. your hands, you're like you want to squeeze even more. 
right? Yep. And yep. maybe this is the lesson that I take from the whole episode as well, going back to the whole theme of, of trauma at the beginning is just like, it's messy, right? Like mm -hmm. all of this is messy. And if you're willing to sit in the awkwardness, in the gray, in the mess, something magical might come out of it, but you have to sit in it, you know, and you have mm -hmm. to get pissed off by it. And that's tough. Yeah. You know, it's much yeah. easier to talk about it than to actually do it. Yeah. I think my takeaway from this one is about the boundaries. And so I think it builds on what you're saying. Like, I think setting and holding boundaries is a messy business too. And it makes people uncomfortable. And sometimes people take it personally when boundaries are set, right? And so it is also very messy. But it, when they're set and held in a way that's like respectful to each other or whatever, not just in a romantic relationship, but even in the workplace or whatever, I think that it creates a much better and stronger like relationship, you know, to have, to be able to exist within those boundaries. So that is what I'm taking away from this one. So. Well, this was an awesome episode. I'm excited to this continue. I love these episodes. And I appreciate you for having this conversation. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, www.tldpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, Please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.